Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Thrive Podcast. We are the Young Adult Ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Wednesdays at 730 in our Family Life Center. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love for you to post it to your Instagram story and tag us at NBC Thrive on Instagram. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Darkness is something that you and I wish we could avoid. We wish that it didn't exist. And uh, some of us like darkness. Some of us, it gives us a chance to hide. It gives us a chance to disappear for a season. It gives us a chance to not show anyone what's actually going on. But if we let darkness sit in just a little longer, it gets quiet. It gets unknown. It gets weird. Everyone's kind of looking around. If this is your first time, you're like, this place is weird. But if we kind of just sit in this darkness for a while, at first it's kind of funny. It's like a a sermon illustration. He might have a point here in a minute. But after a while, it gets kind of uneasy. We kind of forget who's around us, who's next to us. We Maybe you put your hand towards your pocket to make sure your wallet's not got taken yet. But darkness is a reality. It's something that you do not have to go far out the door to find. It's on every channel. It's on every news feed. It's it's everywhere. But if we look at it even more, not externally, but if we look in our own selves, in our own hearts, in our deep inside ourselves, you would have to admit that there is some darkness inside of us. Man, if people heard your thought that one time, you would have to admit there's some darkness inside you. If they knew your motives sometimes, they would have to admit, man, there's some darkness inside me. You can turn the lights back on and it can... Stop being weird for a second. But darkness is something that we absolutely can't avoid. Can you turn me down just a little bit? I feel like I'm like, oh, you hear that like reverb or what's that called? You sound people, I don't know. But darkness is something that absolutely we can't avoid. I mean, we know it's there. It's a, it's a reality. It's something that we wish wasn't there. But like I said, we don't have to go far out our door to find it. And we're going to study this book of Colossians the next number of weeks. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can flip to Colossians right now. Um, it goes Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, or it's going to be on the screen or if you've got your phone. But we're going to be studying this book, and this book has, is, is so good, and we're going, to, we're going to walk through it. But I just wanted to talk about darkness a little bit tonight. And you're like, geez, this is church, chill. But I kind of wanted to start this sermon giving us a reality or maybe having a reality about yourself that, man, there's something not right about me. There's something missing inside me. There's something dark inside me. Even if you do follow Christ and you follow Jesus and Jesus is the light, the Bible teaches that clearly, that Jesus is the light for us. Man, there's some days that that's hard to believe. There's darkness all around us. There's darkness in ourselves and we are consumed by it. But tonight we're just going to study the first 14 verses of Colossians. It's kind of Paul's intro to this church 
And uh, I'm, I'm gonna talk down to you just for a second, but uh, if you're smarter than me, don't get too offended. But what Paul does is he writes these letters to churches that he has already planted. So Butch Persley is our senior pastor here at Maranatha Bible Church, and he planted this church uh, I don't know, 25, about 25 years ago, and what it would be like is him moving to another city and then writing a letter back to us, asking us how we're doing, encouraging us, sharing some truth with us. And that's what a lot of these weird words like Colossians uh, means is it's just a guy who set up a church in this city. He has left the city. He's no longer there, and he's writing them a letter uh, telling them a few things. So if you want to pull up who wrote this book, his name is Paul, like I said. Uh, this is kind of just my little history teacher type of study for you guys just to get into it. He's writing to, yeah, Colossae, is that true? Is that right? Colossae, I'm getting some nods. All right, Colossae, that's what, I played it on a Google speaker, and she was like, Colossae, so I was like, all right, good. Um, but Colossae, that's who he's writing to, and that little dot on the screen there, um, I don't know if that means anything to you. I don't really have anything to share. I just thought it was a cool picture. It's right there in uh, I think it's modern-day Turkey. Yeah, a Bible student in the front row is saying Turkey. I'm getting a head nod. Yeah, so he, uh, this is where this is. It's in the Middle East. He planted this church. Uh, Paul was right around the time of Jesus. He met Jesus, but a little bit afterwards. Jesus died on the cross, rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, and then guys like Paul went out and told everybody about that. They wanted to tell everybody. And what he did was he planted this church. He left the church, and now he's writing back to the church. And when he wrote this book, um, some people a lot smarter than me say 57 to 62 AD, so I'm going to trust them. Uh, it has something to do with who, when he wrote it, who he wrote it with, and all those pieces that they put into play, but you guys are like, I could care less. I just, I have to do it. I have to tell you. So what, what this book is about, and we're going to get into it. Mike's going to get into it the next however many weeks until we're done, but what this book is about, bring up Colossians 2.10. We're going to read this verse every single week. You have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Him being Jesus. You have been filled in him. So uh, that's my jam. I mean, if you were here last week, he was like, I think he said, I said the word Jesus so many times, it was like annoying. You were like, we know his name, dude. Just say J or something. Like, we're sick of it. But every week, we're going to talk about Jesus is sufficient. And Paul wrote to this church reminding them, hey, I know you guys are doing a lot of things and you guys are trying to start churches and plant this. I just want to remind you that Jesus is sufficient. And so what I'm going to do is talk about the first 14 verses. We're going to go Colossians 1, 1 through 14. Um, and I don't know if you guys have ever read books of the Bible. I'm sure some of you have. But when he gets to these letters, the first beginning part's kind of like the throwaway part. I don't know if you've ever studied a book, but it's like Paul, an apostle of Christ, of Christ Jesus, grace, peace, and mercy. And you kind of just like throw that in the trash. And it's kind of awkward, and it is awkward to teach it. And I was kind of thinking of like an example of uh, how to do this. And I, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever run into someone if you haven't seen in a while, and like you know you know them, and you know that they know you, but it's been just like that awkward amount of time to where your relationship has kind of ended. And so what do you do? You see them from a mile away, and they see you, and you kind of walk, and they're like, are they going to say hi, or am I going to say hi? Are they going to say hi, or am I going to say hi? Are they going to say hi, or am I going to say hi? And you get there, and what do you do? Right as you're about to cross paths with them right here, you go like this, and you just keep walking. And they didn't see you, and you didn't see them, and you're good. That's kind of how these beginning verses of these chapters feel. It's awkward. It's Paul writing and going, hey, guys, remember me? Do you even care that I'm writing you? It's kind of awkward. Oh, well. But we're going to get into it either way. And uh, starting in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, 
and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. So if I would title this sermon, if you guys are note takers, or if I would title this sermon, it would be The Checkup. So this is Paul writing to this church, seeing how they're doing, asking them how they're doing, and kind of just reminding them who they are or who they were or what he has heard about this church. And it's kind of like just a checkup. And I have a funny story. Um, I go to the doctor twice a year for a checkup, and uh, it's super awkward because, I mean, health for me, if you know me well, like, it's just not my thing. And you're like, it's health, not your thing. What's that mean, dude? I'm just not about, like, the gallon of water a day, the salad. I'm just not about it. It's just not for me. And so I went to the doctor, and um, I have Crohn's disease. It's an autoimmune disease that affects your uh, digestive tract. And so diet is, like, Number one, it's kind of like, hey, dude, quit being dumb. Get on your diet. And so I went to my doctor's office uh, two months ago. This is honest truth. And he sits me down, and he's talking about flu shots and different medicines and all this stuff. And I'm like, sweet. And he's like, how's your diet? And I'm usually like, good. And he's like, good. And then we keep going. But last time, he was like, how's your diet? And I was like, good. And he was like, well, that's weird because I have your blood work here, and it doesn't look like it's so good. And I was like, what does that mean? He's like, well, we have your blood sugar, and it's, like, really high. And I'm like, oh, that's great. He's like, do you remember, like, what you had for breakfast when you got your blood taken last time, a couple, like, a couple weeks ago? And I was like, well, breakfast, I'm not a big breakfast guy. I'm more like wake up and find, like, the Sour Patch Kids. And he looked at me, and I'll never forget this. He looked at me, and he kind of, like, went his back leg, and he kind of went like this, and I was laughing, and I was waiting for him to laugh, like, come on, man, like, I'm healthy, I can run, like, what's the, and he looked at me, and he goes, you're why doctors get bad reputations, and I was like, what? chill, dude, relax, so the, my checkup did not go well, so he's, what Paul is doing is he's checking up on this church, he's heard a report about them, and what I want to do tonight is ask Thrive, ask you guys four questions about your walk with Christ or your relationship with God, and just kind of have a checkup tonight. Let's have a checkup. Let's see how we're doing. And your checkup could go like mine, to where you're not doing real good, and you're going to be mad at me for some of the things I'd say. Or you're killing it. You're drinking water, nine glasses a day, 12 salads, and your checkup's going to go great. So what I'm going to do tonight is ask you four questions based on Colossians 1. And the first one is, how is your reputation? How is your reputation? Verse 3, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So he's checking up on him and he said, I've got a report about you guys and here are the three things I've heard. And bring up Colossians' reputation. These are the three things. The first thing is that he's heard about their faith. Paul is saying, yeah, I've heard about how you guys are doing and I've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus. And this is just so great how he starts off this letter because it's everything that we're going to talk about in the next few weeks about Jesus being sufficient. And he doesn't start off with saying, hey, church in Colossae, I've heard about your faith in each other. I've heard about your faith in how awesome your church is doing. I've heard about your faith in how awesome the music's been. He goes right to the main thing at the very beginning. He says, I've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And if you were here last week, I mean, that's all I talked about all the whole time was Jesus. Is Jesus enough? Is it Jesus plus nothing for you? Have you ever sat there and thought, is, if Jesus was the only thing I had, would that be enough for me? 
And he's saying, guys, I've heard about your rep. I've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus. So how's your reputation when it comes to your faith? Where is your faith tonight? What are you hoping in tonight? Is your faith in that the Browns will win Saturday night? Yup, or Sunday night? Yup. Is your faith in that you're gonna get a really good job after you graduate? Is your faith in who you're dating right now? Who you want to date? Is that where your faith is in? Is your faith in your health? Not mine. Their faith was in Christ Jesus. The second thing of their reputation is their love. He said, I've heard of your love that you've had for all the saints. Saints is just a churchy word or a Bible word that means uh, holy or blameless, and it is a word that is used to talk about us Christians. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and you follow Jesus and you want uh, to, to follow him, to serve him, to love him, and that is your focus and your aim tonight, then I could call you a saint. That's what that word means. That they use it all the time in the Bible. It doesn't mean your old grandma who hasn't sinned in 40 years. It doesn't mean you have to like give amount of money to the poor to be a saint. You don't have to be like Santa, I don't know, Saint Nick. Like if you're a Christian, you're a saint. That's what he's saying. So he's saying, I've heard of your love that you've had for the saints. I've heard of your love that you've had for each other. Oh, this is such a heart check for me or a challenge for me. Ever since I was little, I can remember um, I didn't like making new friends. I hate that. Oh, I hate that. I want my squad. I like my squad. Don't touch my squad. Don't talk to my squad. My squad's not talking to you. And we're going to be fine and we're going to be friends till we're 80 and we're going to die and we don't need you. Drake said it best. No New friends. You guys don't listen to Drake, you're lying. No new friends, that's what we do. And he's challenging, he says, the love that you've had for all the saints. So many times in the Bible, it says all the, all the. Paul always is saying all the, greet all the saints, love all the saints. Oh, that's a challenge for me because I'm looking at you guys right now and I'm like, ugh. Not everyone. I like my squad. And you're like, he's mean. No, I'm, I said it. You thought it. We love our squad. So let me challenge you tonight. When he says their reputation was in their faith for Jesus Christ, their reputation was in the love that they had for each other. And I don't know what that looks like practically for you. But the one thing that I could challenge you or that I've challenged myself while reading this is when has the last time I tried to love one of you or a Christian that I haven't loved in a while? When's the last time that I've purposely sought out to make a new friend or to, to love someone else, to serve someone else, to buy someone else a coffee that isn't just my tight-knit group? He says, the love that you've had for all the saints. And the third one, hope. In the, because of the hope that's laid up for you in heaven. I could stop at this part and be done. This is the part I could, I could be done the rest of the night. The hope laid up for you in heaven. He's saying, you have faith in Jesus. You trusted him, you follow him. You love each other so great and your hope is not here. It's waiting for you in heaven. Just think about that. If you follow Christ, if you've accepted Jesus into your life, I closed my eyes. I didn't get my own room until I was about 20. And you're like, what does it have to do with anything? Just listen. I didn't get my own room until I was about 20 years old. I shared a room with brothers my whole life. And when I finally got my own room, I was like, the first thing that I wanna do is I want like one of those nameplates that says, Luke Kramer, I want to put it right on the front. This is my room. And when I close my eyes and I think about my room in heaven or my hope in heaven, and when I trusted Jesus as my Savior, Jesus is up there and he put Luke Kramer on one of the rooms. It's mine. It's, it's there. 
And these Christians in Colossae are hoping for what they have in heaven. They're not hoping what they have for here. It says it's waiting for us. It's in heaven. It's laid up. Bring up Titus 1-2. It says, in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. When Jesus looks at us and says, I go to prepare a place for you. There's a room for you in heaven. Where I go, there you will be also. It says he's not lying. And that's, I mean, that sounds like a cliche. Yeah, no, duh, God's not gonna lie. But just think about that. Meditate on that for a second. Remind ourselves of that, that Jesus said, who's ever in his hand, no one can pluck it out. That we have a hope laid up for us in heaven. Bring up Hebrews, Hebrews 3. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. It doesn't say if indeed we hold fast of all the good things that we do. It doesn't say if indeed we hold fast to how many times we sin versus how many times we don't sin versus how many times we go to church or don't go to church. It says if we hold fast to our confidence and we boast in our hope that Colossians 1 says is laid up for us in heaven. So how's your reputation when it comes to you as a Christian? If people looked at you, would you say, man, that person is faithful to Jesus. He loves the Christians and the saints around him, and he is hoping for his home in heaven. Would they say that about you, and would they say that about me? Let's keep going. Verse 6 in Colossians. Which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So this Epaphras guy that they bring up out of nowhere, I think that's the right way to say it. This is the guy who has brought Paul the report of this church. Epaphras comes to Paul and he says, I've been uh, at the church of Colossae for a while. Here's what they're up to. And that's what we just read about their faith, love, and hope. So this guy has been in Colossae. He's spread the gospel in that area that you saw on the screen. And uh, the question I want to ask you guys, if we're thinking about us being Epaphras, is how is your mission? How's your mission going for Jesus? It says uh, in verse Five before it got here, that the gospel is what they heard, and then it jumps into this, which has come to you. The gospel has come to this region, and it's starting to bear fruit. People are starting to get saved. They're seeing baptisms. They're seeing new people teaching, new people using their gifts, new people inviting people to church. And if we can kind of put ourselves in the shoes, I remember the first week of Thrive uh, that I came, there was about 35 of us. And uh, Mike taught. And it was just kind of like a, just a fun thing to do and get some college kids together. We'll play nine square, get some Chick-fil-A. And uh, this place is fun. Over the last couple of years, we've had fun times. I mean, I'm looking at some of you, I'm thinking of Christmas party. I'm thinking of swimming, watching movies. Like we've had good times. Um, but what I want to ask is, how is our mission going? How's your mission the gospel has come to you, and it is in the whole world. It's bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. I don't want us to forget that lives have been changed because of this ministry. Your life might have been changed because of this ministry. My life has been changed because of Thrive and this church and this plant here. And what we can do is two things. One, we can sit here, and we can, uh, one pastor would call it a holy huddle, 
and we can sit here and be like, thrive is fun, no new friends, get the nine square out, and I'll see you guys next week. Or we can challenge ourselves like Epaphras and we can go farther. We can have a mission. We can get more people to learn about Jesus. We can take Jesus to more people in our jobs, in our work, in wherever we are, our families, wherever we're going. And I just want to read a couple statistics that I got offline. And this isn't like big mission, missionary, like guilt you guys or whatever. I, I hate when they do that. This is just, it's cool statistics that I found on the Joshua Project. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that. But there are 7,360 languages in the world, 7,360 of them. The New Testament Bible has been, uh, has been translated and covered 90% of those languages. So there is a Bible translation in 90% of the languages in the whole world. Evangelical Christianity, which is, which is us, uh, is growing at a rate of 2.6% worldwide per year. I don't know the statistic. I couldn't find it because America, like, they're not really about it. But I think the Christianity population in America is shrinking, but the Christianity uh, percentage in the world is growing. Next one. 10% of the world would say that they adamantly follow Jesus. 23% of people are nominal adherents, which means they would say they're a Christian, they go to church, they might go Easter, Christmas, whatever they do, but they wouldn't say, I follow Jesus. They would just say, I go to church. I'm a nominal adherent. 39% have heard about Jesus, heard the gospel, and have chose to not respond or have rejected it. 39%. And then 28% is what we would call the unreached people groups of the world who documented have not heard the gospel of Jesus. And this isn't a big rant of like, go find unreached tribes in Africa. Like, that's not what I'm getting at. I'm just saying the gospel has spread throughout the whole world. And just think about that logically, because there are a lot of people who would say that Jesus was a guy. We, we can't refute that. He lived on earth. He had a couple buddies, and then he died, and then all his buddies, like, wanted to make sure that Jesus' name got out good. So they were like, yeah, he rose from the dead, we think. And they just spread it, and then that was it. That's our, our whole religion. But the Bible says that if Jesus has not been risen from the dead, then we ourselves should be pitied more than anyone else on the earth, that people should feel bad for us for believing that. And I just want to encourage you guys, encourage Thrive and also challenge us that the gospel has spread throughout every inch of the world. It's going over all continents, all countries, everywhere, just like Colossae first did. And I want to ask you specifically, I want to ask me specifically, how is your mission? Who in your community does not know about Jesus? Who in your work do you constantly pray, constantly pray, God, would you open up a door for us to have a conversation about God? There's a guy I work with. Uh, I cut deer for a living. Yeah, cut deer, like, yeah, running deer. They bring them in. We cut them up. It's weird. Um, that's what I do for a living. There's a guy that I work with every day. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, God, I just want to talk to him about Jesus, and I don't know how. And you would think me as like a pastor, a guy who gets up there, we're just running around like, Jesus, 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 just pointing at everyone. But for me, it's tough. It's like, I don't know if he's going to laugh at me. I don't know if he's going to think I'm stupid. I don't know if this is going to make working with him weird. And I just want to dwell with you or encourage you that the way that you feel about that is the way that we all feel about that at some point. But when I look at Epaphras and see what he'd done, just as you learned it from Epaphras, he went to this area, he was a fellow servant, he had, probably had to make sacrifices, and if he had a, 
a blog or a biography, he probably went through something thicker than maybe this conversation could get awkward. And I want to challenge you, how is your mission? Who in your life do you need to share the gospel with? Bring up Matthew 28. You know I got to do it. I got to do it. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Man, that has to be what we're about. It has to be. I read that even now. I'm sitting here, and I'm like, dude, just talk. I'm going to talk to him tomorrow. I have to. Go and make disciples. Tell people about Jesus because the Bible says that the earth is passing away along with its desires. This is going to end. But the one who does the will of God will abide forever. Let's keep reading in Colossians. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Third question, how is your knowledge? How is your knowledge? Disclaimer real quick, bring up 1 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8. All of us possess knowledge, but this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So this is just a disclaimer before I feel like I'm yelling at you guys and me. Knowledge puffs up. I just want to challenge us in the room who are know-it-alls. Me. I know some of you are. Know-it-alls. Man, I have a knowledge for everything. I have an answer for everything. Knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. If knowledge is our God, we live in a culture, a society, in in college. I remember in college just being around all these people ten times smarter than me, and what their God was was knowledge. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is something that we have to get. We, We need to get more knowledge. We need to get more information. We need to get more facts. We need to get more statistics. We need to get all these things, and we love knowledge. And this is just a disclaimer before we talk about the benefit of knowledge, that knowledge puffs up. And what that means is that when we get knowledge, our heads will swell and we'll look less and less like Jesus every time. There's a a book that guy writes, it's called Accidental Pharisee. And it's about how you and me as Christians can slowly and start to look like the Pharisees of the Bible because we know so much, but we love so little. And he says this quote in here that I always remember. He says, There'll be someone that you meet that has no idea that there's an Old and a New Testament. They don't know anything about that. They pronounce the book of Malachi Malachi. They've never heard one of your guys' Christian songs, but they look like Jesus, they love like Jesus, and they point more people to Jesus than you ever will. And that quote sounds cool, but it wasn't for me until I sit down and have coffee with people that show me exactly that. And just telling them about how much I'm reading the Bible, telling them about these sermons I'm giving, telling them about this stuff. And they're kind of just sitting there listening, meek and mild. And they really just want to know how they can pay for the meal or how they can help me out in some way. But there are benefits to knowledge. How is your knowledge? It says here in Colossians, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Filled with knowledge. Bring up John 17, 3. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Do you know God? Do you know him? 
Do you know about him or do you know him? In this verse, Jesus is praying. He's probably in a room by himself. He's talking to the Father and he's like, God, I just want them to know you, how awesome you are, how loving you are, how merciful and gracious and peaceful you are. And he's asking them, I pray that they would just know you. And when I read this, and this is saying, I pray that God's knowledge, you'll be filled with the knowledge of God, filled with the knowledge of his will. Man, I pray that for you guys, and I pray that for myself, that we would be full of the knowledge of God, to know him, to know him. And you know I have to do this, but to know God, he's right here. This is about him. This whole book is about him. It's not about how we can get a date. It's not about how we can get more wisdom, more knowledge. It's about him. It's how do we know him. In my room growing up with my brother Kyle, you walked into the room, and the room itself was like on a loft. You could jump up onto this loft and kind of uh, walk around, play up there, whatever you wanted to do, and the beds were underneath of it. And we had my side and we had his side. And my brother Kyle, growing up, if you know him now, he's about this big and he's, he's a nice guy. But growing up, he was mean as a snake. And I was, scared was an understatement. And we got our own sides. It was Luke's side. I had blue sheets and it was his side. He had gold sheets. And uh, we had like a Cleveland Cavaliers room. And I just remember right when that loft was built, he looked at me and he said, if you go on my side of the bed, I'll kill you. I said, okay. Shoot, I'll never go over there. You can guarantee that. So when you're laying in the bed, there's like this, uh, this wooden, the loft is right above you, and there's really, I mean, you hit your head on it three times a week when you wake up. And uh, I just remember him being in there one day, and he was drilling these piece of plywood in this, like, he's creating like this little secret cavern. And I'm like, what the heck is that? So what did I do? I disregarded what he said about killing me, and I went to go check it out. And I remember he left, and I climbed up in this thing, and I grabbed it, and I opened it, and it was a book. It was like this little journal. It had, like, Converse shoes on it. And I was like, what is this? Is this a diary? Heck yeah, it was. So I cracked that sucker open. My brother was one of uh, just a great football player, a good athlete. He was, like, manly man, chop wood, jeep, like, the whole bit. And this sucker had a diary. And I opened it. And I read that thing cover to cover. (laughs) And just an understatement of how much I learned about him in those pages. I mean, I got to repent. Like, that was wrong, but it had to happen. And for 12 years or however old old I was in that uh, span, the relationship I had with my brother Kyle was, sup, hey, you play Friday night? Yup. All right, good luck, bro. Thanks. And then we'd walk away for 12 years till I cracked open this diary and I read things he had written, dreams he had, mistakes he had made. And I felt like for the first time in my life that I knew who my brother Kyle was. Kyle, do not listen to the podcast. But when I crack open this book, so confused about who God is, the Bible says that he is invisible. We serve an invisible God. But when I crack this open, it seems like I can finally know who he is. In about two times a quarter or two times a year, pastors will get up and they'll make you feel guilty about how much you don't read your Bible. I know that. (sighs) Dust, we do that one. Read your Bible. I don't want you to read your Bible because it's some kind of benefit to me. 
I don't want you to read your Bible because that's what we're supposed to do. I want you to read your Bible because that's how we know who God is. And when we know who God is, so many things are unlocked for us. So many things that we didn't even know that we needed. So many holes that are filled in our hearts. So many longings fulfilled that we have when we know who God is. So I have to ask you, how is your knowledge of God? Do you know stories about him? Do you remember things from when you were a kid? Or are we actively pursuing to know him? And just like Paul is saying in this letter, I pray, I pray that we are filled with the knowledge of his will. Because if you were honest, God's will is sometimes written in Chinese. We have no idea what he's saying. We have no idea what he wants. And we have no idea if what we're doing is the right thing or the wrong thing. And I want to give sweet seven practical tips for how to know God. And this is all I have. This is it. This is the only way that I've ever figured out how to know him and know what he loves and know what he hates and know everything that there is to know about God. He wrote it for us. He was so loving and so gracious that he wrote it for us. So if you're confused about God's will for your life, I mean, hands up, easy money. God's will for our life, the most confusing thing that someone our age deals with. How is your knowledge of God? Do you know God? Do you actively pursue to know him more? Last question, verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Are you qualified? Are you qualified? We live in a day and age where titles are everything. Doctor, master's degree, lawyer, teacher. What are we? Student, manager, supervising manager, pastor, intern, co-op. All these different titles that we constantly are chasing. What's the next one? What's the next one? What's the next one? Are you qualified? What does it mean to be qualified for something? I'm driving here. Actually, I was walking at Wingfoot State Park. I just got done cutting up deer. That's what I do. And I was walking around Wingfoot State Park, and I had, like, overalls on, these baggy coat I found, like, in a hole. I found this coat, like, in a hole when I was working on a house one time. I put, like, pine saw on it, and I was walking around. <laughs> I literally was laughing so hard in the park. I, people thought I was crazy. And if someone would ask, Luke, what are you laughing at? I'm like, I'm about to go teach the Bible to all these kids. And I'm just like walking around like Doug with the hat on. And they're about to listen to me for 30 minutes. And I was just laughing because I'm like, I am so unqualified. So unqualified to do what we're doing. You are unqualified for anything. There's, I mean, we, we might have some skills. We might have some talents. But over and over and over again, you're going to eventually hit the corner office. You're going to hit the, the bottom of a ladder. You're going to hit the feet of someone else in front of you, and they're going to look back and be like, you've come far, but you're unqualified to go any further. You've reached your potential, as what we would say. And then I read this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you 
to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Insecurities aren't just something that we look at the mirror and we're like, I don't like that about ourselves, but I'll get over it. Insecurities are deep. They're deep-rooted. They might come from childhood experience. They might come from people you've talked to that didn't go so well. And we all have them. You follow Christ. You hate God. You've been in church a thousand times. You've been in church, this is your first time. You, me, Pastor Butch, Paul, Epaphras, insecure. Something about us is just, we hate. I hate that about myself. Why did God make me that way? There's something wrong with me. No one else deals with what I'm dealing with. There's something wrong with me. And we go on this loop. I'm unqualified. Not good enough. Not smart enough. Not thin enough. Not pretty enough. Don't make enough money. Time and time and time and time and time again. You might have seasons where you're killing it. A's on your report card. Raised at the job. Girlfriend or boyfriend, happy as can be. But then it comes again, doesn't it? It always comes again. Man, you're not good enough. You're not going to make it. Your dream has changed over the years. Your dream was here. Now it's, mm, I'll just do that. Now it's, I'll settle for that. And now, man, you haven't dreamt in months. You haven't dreamt in years. It just is kind of like, yeah, I'll do whatever comes to me. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Only in Jesus Christ, only in the finished work on the cross, has there ever been a time in my life when I've stood there and sat there and said, I am good enough because of what he's done for me, because of the blood he shed for me. And all the time, I'm sitting there moping and unqualified and not good enough and not smart enough. And sooner or later, when we just get the focus off ourselves and get the focus on Jesus, we'll start saying the same things. I'm not good enough. Yeah, I know. I'm not. Not smart enough. Yeah, I know. I'm not. But he's qualified me. He died for me. He knew every single insecurity about you, even the ones that you haven't told your most best friend in the world, you haven't told your mom, you haven't told anybody this insecurity. He knows that. He knows that and he qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints, of the Christians in light. Last verse, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There's only one way in the world to get forgiveness of sins, and that is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. That's it. You can't get forgiveness through me. You can't get forgiveness through a pool. You can't get forgiveness anywhere except for the redemption of Jesus Christ and his beloved Son. And this is so interesting. It says, we were transferred from darkness, and then what I thought it would say was, we were transferred from darkness into light. But that's not what it says. It says we were transferred from darkness into the kingdom of Jesus, into Jesus, who is the light. Turn the lights out again for a second. He has transferred us from this. Is this what the inside of you 
feels and looks like tonight, Christian or non-Christian, churchgoer or non-churchgoer, believe in God or hate God. Following Jesus as fast and as hard as you possibly can or haven't said the word God or Jesus in months. This is what is inside of us, the domain of darkness. It's the only thing that all of us have in common. The Bible says that there is no righteous, no, not one. All of us have been born in the domain of darkness. We were born in sin. There was nothing we could do. There was nothing we could get out of it. The Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. We were in the domain of darkness. All right, you can flip the lights back on. And the only way to get the lights back on, to get the lights on in the beginning, is to understand what Jesus has done for us. And man, you're like, I've heard that 10,000 times. Is it helping your insecurities? Is it helping your sinful passions and lusts and desires and these things? You have to remind yourself that we have been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, the light. And we are qualified. You are qualified. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there's nothing you can do to get out of it. What I said earlier in Titus, it says that God who never lies, when he said that you are in his hand and you cannot be snatched out of it, that is not a lie. That we have been transferred out of the darkness. Let me pray for us. God, I know sometimes that you use darkness to get our attention, and that is frustrating for me and frustrating for us. God, thank you so much for providing the opportunity to get out of the darkness. That when you hung on the cross thinking about us, you said that it was finished. God, would we remember that tonight, that the work of Jesus is finished and that we are qualified in you. God, all the insecurities that are just flooding our minds right now. God, maybe I've brought something up in people's minds that they were trying to bury to forget tonight. I pray that you would just soothe them, that you would give them peace, that your word says that you quiet us with your love. Would you quiet our hearts tonight with your love? God, I pray for the people in this room with this checkup from Colossians 1 that are following you passionately, imperfectly, but with all their heart, God, would you just remind them and just, God, affirm them tonight. Lord, you are pleased with what we're doing. God, and I pray for the people in here who, God, we're struggling. We, dra we dragged ourselves in here tonight. God, I pray for them too that you would encourage them to chase after you, to run after you, to seek and to knock. <laughs> God, you are the only one who has ever qualified me, and I am so thankful for that. God, I find peace in you, I find joy in you, and I find hope in you in knowing what I have in heaven. God, thank you for providing confidence and assurance in my heart. I pray that you would provide it for everyone in this room.
God, for those in this room who do not follow Jesus, have never made a decision for you, God, would you bother them? Would you pester them? Would you tear at their heart? Would you pry at their heart, God? Would you not let them sleep? Would you not let them eat until they come to the knowledge of the truth that you have transferred us into the domain of light into your beloved son? God, we love you and we thank you. God, I pray the book of Colossians would speak to us, would challenge us, would encourage us, and would ultimately help us grow closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You guys are dismissed. Thanks for coming. Next week we will start in verse 15.